0: Okay, so I guess what I wanted to ask you is how do you as a Palestinian uh, confront the idea of uh, Israelis who are very interested in Palestinian liberation and who reject the Zionist narrative?
1: These uh, Israelis, I'd like to create a distinction between these Jews who are in favor of Palestinian sovereignty and reject the Zionist state as not being Israelis but being Palestinian Jews. They may descend from the. They may descend from uh, Europe, but as at my previous point stated, that it's not a racial struggle and colonialism. It's a power struggle. I don't believe that the Israeli identity is capable of producing anything except for a colonial mindset that is at the expense of other people. I don't see these Jews born amongst the Israelis as being Israeli, but Palestinian.
0: So as soon as you kind of move away from the colonial idea, you become uh, Palestinian in your view. Yes, I
1: do believe so, because for at least the last Mm -hmm. 1,000 or so years, uh, Jews in Palestine always existed side by side with Palestinians. Israeli identity, they they weren't Israeli.
0: And then I guess, uh, like building off of that, you see uh, Israeli being uh, synonymous with colonization. Yes. Right, and uh, the two just like cannot be separated. Yes, yeah, for sure. Right, because I guess if you look at it um, from the start, Israel has never been anything but a colonial state. Yes,
1: even even Um, before, uh, like one of the things I wanted to mention, even before uh, the uh, establishment of Israel, before the Nakba, there was so much violence going on. It's mm -hmm. like you would have uh, in nineteen forty six and seven, you'd have months at a time of uh, Zionists uh, using bombs and terrorist tactics, self-proclaimed terrorist tac- tactics against Palestinians, where mm-hmm. they would kill a countless amount of people, like a lot of casualties and civilians with uh, planted bomb attacks across Palestine.
0: I guess, and you would just, you know, I feel like somebody would describe these things that you're talking about uh, as pogroms, right? Which is like the very thing uh, that Jews were supposedly trying to escape uh, in Europe by coming to palestine
1: yes uh, very much so i ask myself with what these zionists have done to other people claiming to do it in the name of being jewish Mm -hmm. or protecting the jewish identity it really makes me question it really makes me think that they can't be jewish because if they were jewish they would have learned from these instances done upon them and wouldn't do it to others
0: yeah um that's like, that reminds me a lot of, uh, I don't know if you know who Norman Finkelstein oh, yes. is.
1: He's a hero of mine.
0: Yeah, that reminds me a lot about uh, like that that video he had. You've probably seen it where he goes viral. And uh, he says like his parents were survivors of Auschwitz. And he says it's exactly that reason. Um, because these things have been done to him. He's been the victim of genocide, of ethnic cleansing. Uh, and it's precisely that reason that he cannot identify with the state of Israel. Mm. Right? So in in your view I guess you would say if uh if Norman Finkelstein came to Palestine he would be a uh, Palestinian? Yes. <laughs> even so, he's even though he's not over there, he's still honorary Palestinian. <laughs> nice. Mm. All right. Um so how would you uh best characterize 1935 Palestine?
1: There was a There was a lot of political activity happening there. It's like one notable thing that year is that the uh, January seventeenth, uh, the Brits install legal censorship of Palestinian journalists. And If you're wondering where I'm getting my information from, uh, the dossier that I just gave you and uh, Joanna was one source. I'm also using this thing called the uh, interactive uh, interactive timeline, inter- interactive encyclopedia on the Palestine question. That's a good source, mm-hmm. and as well as uh, other sources uh, as a part of my own personal uh, research. And just about a couple months later, after that uh, censorship, the Palestinian Arab Party was founded. Um, about a couple months after that, the Reform Party was founded. A few more things happened this year, such as the uh, uh, the, the 19th Zionist Congress held between August and September. Uh, Wiseman, Chime Wiseman, Assumes presidential role of the World Zionist Organization, and then September fifteenth, which is really concerning, Nazi Germany starts funneling Zionists in Palestine through the Nuremberg Laws as a deal with the Zionist body to protect uh, to protect the Zionists, not have them be a victim of uh, Nazi aggression. Uh, the uh, Nazis and the Zionists made a deal to start sending the Jews over to Palestine to cleanse mm-hmm. to cleanse Europe of its Jews. Uh, October fourth, the National Bloc Party was founded. Uh, within this decade, a lot of political parties would be founded in response of British occupation. These parties all had the similar goal; it would convene to protest against uh, protest against uh, British occupation. Like in November twenty fifth, the Palestinian parties unite to demand their self determination.
0: And I guess they were also sorry to interject here, but they were also. Um, not just protesting against British occupation, but were they also protesting against uh, Zionist immigration?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, one of their big things was uh, protesting against the Zionist acquisition of land and their mm. uh, and, and
0: immigra- immigration. By the uh, Jewish National Fund. Yeah. Right. Well, they called it the, the, the uh, I think it was the Palestine Colonization Association back then. I think so. Because they changed it to get away from that colonial label.
1: I think the Jewish National Fund might have uh, been it because Jewish National Fund is still a thing today and uh, it's one of the things yeah. I mentioned during my speech a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also uh, was created by Israeli settlers about 100 years ago, in the early 1900s. Hmm. And uh, between that time of the National Bloc Party and the Palestinian Parties United, on November 25th, uh, jihadi resistance was declared against the Brits for just about a couple of weeks, about a week and mm-hmm. a half. Um, it's probably one of the most, probably one of the more notable years of uh, political development and resistance, because that's when uh, jihad was declared and uh, Palestinian democratic parties unite in, in spite of the censorship being mm-hmm. put on journalists.
0: I want to bring up one point that you mentioned here, uh, in like a broader sense. Uh, what does what does jihad mean to you? Because we've seen that word become very politicized, oh yeah uh, in the modern day and uh, very demonized
1: yeah a lot of uh, a lot of fears put behind that word, and people don't really know what it means
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: now i'm not I'm not a uh, not a theology expert or anything but uh as told by other Muslims and uh Muslim scholars, jihad is the means to resist or to struggle in the name of God if mm-hmm. you do something that you find difficult like Waking up in the morning, or uh, brushing your teeth, doing something that you're not really, uh, not really compelled to do, but you do it anyway because you know it's the right thing to do. That's jihad. Jihad is not just this term that means blind
0: terrorism. Go kill some infidels or kuffar. I'm I'm glad you said that because it certainly has come to mean that to a lot of people. Yeah, um, yeah. In, in the Western sense, right.
1: Let's say if you have like a crippling injury, but you still go to physical therapy, uh, that's that would be jihad. That struggling. is
0: like your personal jihad.
1: Oh, yes. Right? Uh, not me personally, but that's just an example. I
0: know. I know. Not you personally. Yeah.
1: Everybody has their own personal jihad. Uh, it could also be used as a term to resist against oppression. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Islamic terms are being taken out of... Uh... Oh, that's very nice. Joanna has a
0: cousin named jihad. That's what his name means, struggle. That's good to know. And uh, uh, one of the
1: Pierce Morgan's interviews that I was seeing, that I saw, he was talking about uh, how he saw uh, Palestinians and other Muslims and Arabs calling for jihad, mm-hmm. and he was trying to say that as if it was a bad thing. He doesn't realize that basically the Islamic world is being completely uh, decimated by uh, what the economics policies. And the foreign policies and the military policies of the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The and audacity to say that uh, that's uncalled for is f- simply foolish.
0: They just, uh, they tend to be so offended by yeah. kind of any sort of Arab language yeah, at all, right?
1: Yeah. There's, to them, there's not a single thing, there's not a single way for Arabs to resist that isn't considered monstrous or terroristic.
0: And that's kind of the idea of terrorism too, or at least like this new, this new terrorism, right? Oh yeah, that is uh, a wrongly so heavily associated with Arab people.
1: Yeah, terrorism is a very real thing, but it's often, it's often misused as a word. Like, if you have an actual official army declaring war on somebody and attacking their uh, ba- bases or infrastructure, that wouldn't be terrorism. That'd just be war, and other things that are terrorism aren't being categorized as terrorism, such as uh, political violence and uh, the usage of uh, weaponry to achieve a political goal on a uh, bipartisan level.
0: Absolutely. I mean, like Israel's repeated use of, uh, of like white phosphorus munitions uh, in Gaza and Lebanon. Like I would, I would call that terrorism. Mm. Right. But of course, like in the mainstream here, we don't call that terrorism because it's by a state actor who's an ally.
1: Yeah. It's like, uh, you have the you you have these people who say that um, Hamas is a state actor, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: but what they did is terrorism. But since Israel is a state actor, what they're doing is not terrorism; since it's a state
0: actor. I think terrorism. When we talk about that, the people who are called terrorists tend to be those who struggle against the status quo. Yes, and those who are not our allies, because our allies tend not to be constructed as uh, quote-unquote terrorists Uh, despite we've had quite a few allies Um, speaking from like a Canadian American standpoint we've had quite a few allies who certainly uh, fit that definition of terrorist right very much so and the world court doesn't even use a terrorist anymore like the inter, the the United Nations doesn't tend to use the term terrorist because today it's become so uh it doesn't mean anything anymore buzzword Exactly. Yeah, it's a non-statement to say somebody's a terrorist because it's all a question of perspective.
1: It's like even I don't like to call or use that word on people who I genuinely uh, oppose. Hmm. It, it it's just a, it's just
0: a non-word now. It doesn't mean anything. Like uh, Nelson Mandela was a terrorist oh, until yeah. 2008. God rest his soul. Yep. South Africa is making him proud. Mm. Absolutely. Oh, yes. I, I have yet to see the—I've the, uh, the I, I seen clips of it, but I have yet to see the
1: um, the court case in full. Mm-hmm. But uh, what South Africa is doing is so amazing. I
0: think there's just been about two days of uh, statements so far. The first day was uh, South Africa. Um, the next day was Israel's response. Um, what was notable, a lot of people were talking about it. Um, South Africa, their opening statements were not broadcast on the major news here in— uh, you know, in in the West, what we call like CNN, BBC, all those sort of news. Um, it wasn't broadcast on theirs, but they did broadcast Israel's defense the next day. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's this is nothing new. This is fairly standard for them. Um, Israel's defense is not great, in my opinion. I have Okay, the, I don't know who it was, but the woman speaking. It was a 30-minute hmm. speech. I only listened to like the
1: first 10 minutes of it, and it just really didn't mean anything, so I just turned it off afterwards.
0: Yeah, like did you read uh did you read South Africa's 84-page application? Oh, uh, no. I read I I went through I read the whole thing. I will, uh, t- uh, tell me about it. It is uh it is very well researched. Uh the language is great. It's uh very legal and it includes it's, it has like 500 uh footnotes in there. It's really like it takes you through um some great points as they accuse Israel not just of genocide, which is the main uh Part of the application, but um, they also can they also accuse Israel of being an apartheid state, which we know is absolutely true. Mm. Um, And it's so meaningful coming from South Africa because this was a state that was recently the pariah state of the world, yeah, just uh, three decades ago, exactly. Like 1994 was Mm. when apartheid ended, and now the ANC, the uh, descendants of Nelson Mandela, are now accusing Israel of apartheid rightfully Mm. so, in bringing charges of genocide against Israel. And I think that's a, it's very poetic in that sense. Mm. Absolutely. Um, But the document, the application itself, um, there's a lot of facts in there. It's very, it's very damning.
1: We'll certainly look into
0: that. Toward the Israeli state. Like, just read through it. It's, uh, there's some points that are, they go through um, the actions, of course. So they study kind of like Israel's military actions and what those have resulted in in Gaza. Mm. And then they also uh, go over the statements of genocidal intent by uh, the Israeli uh, officials. So like the prime minister, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the finance minister, uh, Besalel Smoltrich, uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir, and it's just like when you put it all together in the same spot, it is the most like genocidal language you can imagine. So South Africa is a very strong case, and Israel seems to so far have come at them with the same defense that they use in the mainstream media all the time. It's one of two things, and that's well, that's one of them, right? It's either but Hamas or you're anti-Semitic. Mm. And I really think um I really think Israel's is gonna lose here on the world court and um, they're gonna get those uh, the provisional measures i hope so um i hope yeah of course like it's not going to do anything to israel right hmm. because they've never they've never ever uh like respected international law so what we're hoping for is that this is going to put pressure on the western nations particularly the united states uh which already should have Uh, fulfilled its obligations under the 1948 Genocide Convention by taking steps to prevent genocide and not being complicit in genocide. So hopefully this puts pressure on the United States, who Israel could not continue this genocidal assault without their support.
1: Do you think the West will yield to this
0: ruling? I think... I don't know, honestly. Because from my perspective on uh, global politics... The United States and Israel are the world's two rogue states, meaning that they they I agree. they have never like the United States isn't even they're not even they haven't even respected they've never even acknowledged um the sovereignty not sovereignty sorry the jurisdiction of uh, the UN Security Council.
1: Yeah, the UN Security Council is. Uh, I never I never like the UN. Um, the UN Security Council is such a reductive way mm-hmm. of ruling international policy. I think we should replace it with something more democratized.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just ends up being the owners of wealth. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and like the, inter-
1: international law. And the big wigs in World War II, pretty much what it was based off of.
0: Right. It's uh, It seems like an, just an extension of NATO. Yeah. And uh, international law itself is kind of, it's set up uh, to benefit Western nations. And to be used kind of as a weapon against the global south. Yeah. So this uh, this case here really is kind of a referendum on international law: if that trend will continue, or if it will prove to be uh, something that is equal among all people, no matter which country you're talking about. Mm. Sorry, I didn't mean to like derail no, no, you so no. much from your. We were talking about 1935. No, don't apologize. It's a, you have a lot of great insight. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Thank you. So, 1935. Uh, yeah, 1935, a big
1: year for, a, a big year for, uh, political, political activity and political uni- unity amongst Palestinians, both against, uh, Zionist and British occupation. Mm-hmm. Um, after, after that, but before that, like, with, uh, years previously, um, uh, there's been a lot of Palestinian, um, political assemblies, such as, uh, Women's Union, mm-hmm. uh, Youth Union, um. And some of, the, some of these uh, organizations still uh, tend to assemble like uh, it's been 90 or so years mm-hmm. and there's still women there's still women's assemblies in Palestine which I think is amazing just goes to show how much of a how much of a beautiful and precious society Palestine was for mm-hmm. the people who engage in such activities but uh, next 1936 stuff uh, it gets more uh Tensions get more strained. Mm-hmm. Like you have April fifteenth uh, to uh, July twenty third, was the start of the first great Arab revolt, and uh, within that, uh, within that period of time, Palestinians start targeting the supply lines of Zionist settlers. They start attacking the railways. They start uh, targeting their trucks. Uh, and during that, t- also, the Brits then implement emergency regulations to have a better control over Palestinians. Uh, such as uh, making it easier to arrest them, to uh, detain them, to put them on probation.
0: Yeah. And I guess, um, like going back, this is seem- this seems to be like the part of just the colonial playbook.
1: Yeah. This is right? uh, this is this is how the so the way the the way the British interacted with both the Palestinians and the Zionist settlers is that they didn't want to. They wanted to be very careful around how they interacted with the arabs not just the palestinian arabs but the arabs in a surrounding country but at the same time they were favoring the zionists vastly more they were just trying not to get the arabs to revolt uh in every in every situation uh they basically ha- they basically gave favor to to the zionists there were some cases where the brits did try to settle things down where they would stop Zionist settlers from acquiring land and they would create mm-hmm. they would create new land laws allowing uh, Palestinians to have more control over the land but okay. at the same time they would also create laws where Palestinians weren't able to buy land to uh, use it for farming because that land was going to be used for infrastructure for the Zionist settlers
0: so I have a question too prior to the to the mandate and maybe um, even maybe before during Ottoman rule Did the Palestinian, do you know if the Palestinian culture attached uh, this idea of commodification to land? Because you're talking about buying land and kind of like this idea of purchasing land. Um, Were they commodifying their land before that or no? Or was there not?
1: I don't think so because this uh, commodification of land was in reaction of the Zionists buying up land Mm -hmm. or seizing land militarily. It's like later into the mandate nearing the end, Zionists uh, would implement uh, policies or uh, operations where, hey, since we can't buy land anymore, we're just going to take it with arms. Mm-hmm. They would just go in Palestinian villages, uh, clear out the inhabitants, and then take its land for themselves. And I guess
0: that would be kind of like a precursor, a blueprint for the 1948 Nakba. Yes. Right. Yes.
1: Yes. Uh, May, May May 14th, 1948, the Israelis proclaimed their independence. Mm-hmm. And this independence wasn't the, okay. The Nakba wasn't just some random thing that happened. Uh, I think it was months or maybe it was just a couple of years prior. Trubin met up with uh, the Zionist Congress mm-hmm. to discuss uh, the establishment of the Jewish state, and he asked them to start it on a certain date. And that date being the Nakba, he he orchestrated the Nakba, uh, started on. Uh, declare they declared independence on the 14th and then on the 15th they then started displacing Palestinians. Hmm. this was orchestrated and endorsed by Western powers despite the United States saying it will take a more uh, more neutral role in being an overseer of truce and peace and not they said they said they won't do anything to help the Zionist settlers mm-hmm. but uh, that clearly wasn't true. Due to their immediate recognition of the state of Israel, on the very night they claimed they declared their independence on May 14th.
0: And as we both know, right, there is such a huge body of evidence, yeah, uh, that will point toward the Nakba actually taking place and actually happening. You know, seven hundred thousand plus Palestinians uh, expelled from Palestine. Oh yes, uh, we. I think what was the number like fifteen thousand killed. Oh I, I'm not sure in the thousands understand. of villages raised to the ground um anyway it's a very well documented occurrence right but um it seems today that the nakba is still seems to be the only uh occurrence of genocide or of ethnic cleansing that you can deny with uh with political impunity almost
1: yeah it's like here in canada if you di- if you deny the holocaust you'll be incriminated mm-hmm. but uh and as well as anything else, it will be wrong for you to deny. But when it comes to Palestinians,
0: we're a different case. Do you do you believe in the future? Um, like considering the Nakba as we see it now, do you think in the future Israel will go the route of Canada and start to have these ideas of reconciliation? Um, but of course only after the settler state has become the dominant power and there's no risk of decolonization. Do you see Israel going more toward um, how Canada is in their settler victory or do you see kind of like an, a, a complete extermination of the, of the Palestinian people?
1: I don't think Israel will take the same position as Canada on this. Mm-hmm. I think... Israel's entire goal ever since its inception and the Zionist goal even before then was to get rid of the Palestinians, like how I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the Biltmore program. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason why I think Israel is a different case and wants the uh, complete extermination or displacement of Palestinians and removal from the homeland is because uh, Canada was just British and French foreign policy to go over to another land, create a colony for uh, monetary gain,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But Israel is. A, the reason why Israel is a different case is because it is created out of a unique ideology, unique, to, uh, exclusive to itself. The very existence of Israel only applies to itself. It's not a program. Uh, it's not a program unlike any other. Basically, uh, what makes it different than Canada is because Canada, just like Australia, just like the United States, was created with the same approach by the British but Israel's an entire different new beast.
0: Their sense of entitlement is quite different, right?
1: Yeah, an entire ideology was created to establish themselves.
0: Because mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, you're right, because at no point did the Canadians ever say that we're the indigenous people.
1: Yeah, and the Canadians, just like the Americans, had the same approach, and just like the Australians, they all had the same approach. Um, their, their inception is not unique. They're. Canada, America, Australia are brothers in a way. Mm -hmm. And they're just standard British foreign policy of colonizing.
0: And you can see that that unity between those settler states that you brought up. Yes. As they are now, in today's day and age, the biggest supporters of Israel on the global stage. Right? They have $3.8 billion a year from the United States uh, to Israel. Canada provides a lot of diplomatic support. I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, there were reports, uh, very well-founded ones, that the IDF was recruiting Canadians on Canadian soil. Uh, I wasn't familiar with that. I'm not too familiar with that.
1: But I'm aware that not only is Canada giving diplomatic support to the Israelis, they are also supplying military weaponry to them. Like, for example, uh, Charles Spur, uh, he gave a speech of, uh, several weeks back talking about how the Canadian government was donating... Uh, light armored vehicles to the israelis and they're actively mm-hmm. doing so
0: yeah and then i guess you have uh like uh, heather reisman yeah ceo of indigo books oh yes. you probably know about her
1: uh i don't know about her but i heard indigo is participating in as Highness, affairs
0: so her as a ceo of indigo um she runs a organization uh i think it's particularly concerned with lone soldiers so it, the essential idea is to provide funding uh for people to join the IDF mm. which uh kind of spells out IDF recruitment which is a crime on Canadian soil to recruit for a foreign army but it's uh continually overlooked here in Canada. Yeah, it's never been prosecuted, but it is a practice that goes on here.
1: That's really sure. unfortunate cuz I quite liked that bookstore but uh, Yeah, don't go to bucket. Chapters. Yeah,
0: don't go don't go to
1: Indigo Chapters.
0: Not chapters, not Coles either. Yeah, Indigo owns them. Mm. Good store. Um, if you're looking for books, Bookmark on Spring Garden. I'll take a look at that. As far as I've researched, Bookmark uh, does not have any affiliations with uh, Zionist causes or anything like that. Mm. And just go <laughs> right back into the oh my God,
1: I yeah. I uh, like to address like some some uh, events, like important events, like you suggested earlier, mm-hmm. from each year, like. Uh... Tiger, a uh, the policing advisor, mm-hmm. he aligns with the uh, Zionists to uh, prosecute, and he starts torturing Palestinian Arabs. That was uh one event on December third, nineteen thirty
0: seven. It's good that you're providing the dates. Oh yeah, and everything because then it's like it's like the receipts, right? Because people will try and deny that yeah. these things happened.
1: Uh. Throughout uh, throughout the year of 1938, the Brits uh, were studying the practicality of implementing the partition. They started on uh, January 4th, and they published it on uh, November 9th. And they didn't they didn't quite like the results of these. Uh, they didn't like the results of these studies. They didn't go in line with the uh, their plan to create a Zionist state. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not sure if you'll know the answer to this or not, but I wanted to ask too. Um, We've seen the British uh, are the inventors of the concentration camp, and we saw them used in Africa during the British colonization. Um, Did they ever implement anything like that in uh, Mandate Palestine?
1: Oh, I'm not terribly sure. Okay. I don't think it would be fitting to do so in such a uh, dense metropolitan area.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: People would write, uh, like they did it in South Africa, which was a very uh, urban region, mm-hmm. rural. Plus they did it to the Boers, which they were a much smaller population than the native South Africans. Mm-hmm. Just a week after uh, the Brits published that uh, report, uh, they, like I said, they rejected the study because it didn't fit with their narrative in 1939 throughout January and February the uh, Palestinian Zionists engage in a combat and there was a, Le- a London round table who assembles to debate the Jewish migration and Palestinians th- oh, so this is like throughout January to February mm-hmm. uh, Palestinians call on, uh Mick Mahone's promise for Arab unity uh, the white paper uh, was the white paper was published to uh, support and from May 17th to May 23rd to support the Palestinian self-governance by limiting Aliyah. That white paper would eventually be uh, pretty much uh, gotten rid of to help the Zionists instead. Mm-hmm. Then you have the start of World War II. September 1st, Germany declares war in Poland. Uh, February 20th of, that, uh, of 1940, the Brits rest- uh, restrict Jewish land acquisition to help appease the Palestinians.
0: And then around that time, too, we saw a huge uh, influx of Jewish immigrants to Palestine. Oh, yes. Uh, as well as um, Jewish people fleeing Europe who were refused from Canada and yeah. uh, the United States. It's like the West didn't take them. And uh, that,
1: that goes in line with uh, their solution to the quote-unquote Jewish problem of getting rid of them from their own countries in Europe. Because mm-hmm. they decided, hey, we're not going to take them. They either uh, stay in Germany to die or we send them to Palestine. And even Germany was uh, in favor of southern Palestine, like I mentioned earlier. Hmm. And uh, September third, two days after World War II started, twenty-three Palestinian volu- uh, twenty-three thousand Palestinian volunteers joined the British war effort. They served throughout the Middle East and North Africa.
0: That, that reminds me of the uh, kind of that agreement that the Brits made um, for the Arabs to revolt against the Ottoman Empire and promising them their own state.
1: Yeah, a big mistake on the Arabs.
0: Mm-hmm. It just reminds me of that, of uh, kind of like failed promises by the...
1: Yeah, the, throughout this entire uh, situation, Britain has been uh, going around uh, making promises it can't keep, mm-hmm. constantly fumbling with its uh, relations to its people, uh, to people uh, they're dealing with. There's one event that I'm not terribly familiar on, but I want to research it uh, furthermore. November 25th, 1940, ocean liner the SS uh, Patria was moving Jews to an alternate location rather than Palestine. Mm-hmm. And the Zionist reaction to that was to bomb the ship full full of 250 Jews and British officers.
0: And what, did the ship sink? What happened? Oh yeah, so the ship sunk. It killed
1: 250 people. Wow. Yeah. It, there was a lot of cases of uh, Zionist sabotaging uh, and killing Jews to further their movement of uh, Jews are... Uh, victimized everywhere they go, mm-hmm. so they must have a they must have a homeland, uh, a nation state, and a lot of that uh, attack on Jews was by Zionists,
0: and that is the trend that we see where we have a lot of Zionists um, who are openly hostile toward uh, other Jewish people who do not hold their same uh, admiring of Zionism, right? Oh yeah, you ha- you have admiration.
1: These, you have these Zionists who are denouncing Orthodox Jews, accusing them of not being real Jews. Mm-hmm.
0: It's it's wild though, because I've seen these uh, these is these uh, Israeli protests, and uh, a lot of the Orthodox sects will go and they will hold up Palestinian flags. Uh, they will hold the signs to say Jews against Zionism. They will protest against it, mm. and they're dressed like very Orthodox. Yes, right? they wear all black. They have the hats. They have their hair in the same way, and then it's like it's a guy who looks like. You have, with like a Brooklyn accent, yeah, you know, and like white as paper, and he'll be like, "You're not a real Jew."
1: Yeah, you, and, you have you have the, the these ultra orthodox Jews like you're they have a Yiddish accent, mm-hmm. and then you yeah, you have those New York Jews.
0: And it's just like it's ridiculous. Yeah, you know that they just because like they they draw that line there, right?
1: Oh, uh, another thing I like to mention: uh, 1944, October 7th, mm-hmm. Arab states meet up. And they actually call for the distinction between Jewish and Zionist immigrants. Hmm. They actually call for the Western powers to acknowledge that there's a distinction between the two. Just like how I'm trying to distinct it now.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess in a sense, they were trying to fight anti-Semitism there. So,
1: uh, 9, uh, February 14th, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt meets with uh, Abdul Ibn uh, Saad. Mm-hmm. And promises to protect uh, to protect Arab interests by not assisting the Jews. Unfortunately, he would die only a couple months after, so that promise was null and void because Truman took over, and Truman was very pro-Zionist. Because uh, several months after that, in August, Truman urges uh, the the prime minister after Churchill, Attlee, mm-hmm. uh, to allow one hundred thousand Jews, Zionists, into Palestine. Throughout 1946, the Zionists become more and more brazen and they start attacking uh, British soldiers more frequently. Like uh, June 17th, July 22nd, there's a uh, wave of Zionist attacks against the Brits. And then June 22nd, uh, Gang bombs the King David Hotel, uh, killing dozens of people to suppress evidence on them collected by the British. This bombing kills not just British, but Arabs and Jews.
0: I guess going back to our earlier point, that's the kind of thing that you would call terrorism. Yeah, right.
1: Exactly. Arab uh, September 30th. Arab delegations discuss conditions of partition. Uh, November 13th. Ernest Bevin affirms that the Zionists in the Palestine will be one thousand five hundred monthly. And hmm. then another. Uh, then the twenty-second Zionist Congress is held December 9th to nineteen to uh, the twenty-fourth.
0: So the the Arab partition that you talked about there, yeah, they were were they talking about partitioning it into a Jewish and Arab state? Uh, yeah, there was a, they were thinking
1: about having it as a two thirds division, mm-hmm. like two thirds Arab favor. They did Which, plan on, they did plan on sharing it well, they they that's
0: on, it's more generous than
1: they should have. It, it was that wasn't a, so, that wasn't a proposition to a two state solution. That was them proposing a uh, united democracy. Uh, they wanted okay. to have, uh, since, since because the Jews were a minority, mm-hmm. uh, they were only going to give them a, a third of the government, which is uh, more than generous, because they consisted of less than a third of the population.
0: I think we kind of saw that go on um, with the 1948 partition plan. I think it was 48, 47. Uh, uh, the, we'll UN 47. Part- the, the UN The UN. The UN closes it, makes yeah.
1: it uh, Resolution 188. Oh, 181.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but that one was uh, was pretty unfair too considering the population yeah. divide and then the uh Jewish settlers being allotted much more space. Yeah, and
1: uh also I think it was more uh um, more infrastructureized land. Mm. Like I th- it was 60 sixty forty Jewish favor. Okay. Yeah, and plus uh and Palestine was ripped apart.
0: Yeah, it was cause it essentially divided um what we would now call Gaza and the West Bank. Yeah. Right. Uh
1: nineteen forty seven. Uh, another wave of Zionists attacking the British, uh, February 28th to March 1st. And because of that, the British Officers Club in Jerusalem ends due to those attacks. Uh, April 2nd, the Brits approached the UN to determine the future of Palestine. That that was happening a lot. There was a lot of approaches to uh, international bodies Mm -hmm. to discuss the Palestine question and a lot of these meetings just had the same repetitive message nothing really accomplished them oh and uh, something a few things worth mentioning that uh, a lot of Israelis are using the a lot of Zionists are using the uh, hostage as a political tool to further their cause July 11th to July 31st 1947 the Ergen gang Zionist militia, kidnaps and kills two British sergeants, which mm. that's very disturbing. You can only imagine how horrible those British officers went out.
0: Yeah. So would they, um, the gang that you mentioned there, Ergen? Yeah. Would they have, uh, would they have been like one of the predecessors to the IDF or would they have,
1: they still, they still exist. Oh, they do. Yeah. Um, They're an expansionist uh, military organization. Their logo is a hand holding a gun over a map of Palestine and Jordan.
0: Hmm. So
1: they have aspirations to also annex Jordanian land.
0: And what's their... Do you know what their status is today within Israel? Uh, They're a state-sponsored military organization. Huh. Yeah. That's funny. Because they seem... I know. I know that Israel, at least the politicians, um, at certain points, they do like to distance themselves from the expansionist ideas, um, despite many of them holding up maps of Greater Israel. Yeah. So I'm surprised because they will designate a lot of the far right in Israel as uh, scapegoats. Yeah. Uh, they will designate them as terrorists. It's all kind far of, right. I know it is. It's impossible to be liberal or left in Israel. Yeah, but um, they will kind of make like a scapegoat out of uh, like politicians, like for a time, it's um Ben Gavir uh, to kind of be able to point to, uh, oh, look, these are the far right and we're the tolerant ones, right? Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, in the early days of Ergen, they were involved in a lot of terroristic activities. And as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. a lot of these uh, terrorist activities were self-proclaimed. They admitted to using terrorist tactics. hmm
0: they probably had a lot from the from the like Conist, um denomination of Zionism.
1: Conist, I'm not familiar.
0: It's a uh, it's a far right uh, Zionism, kind of like an offshoot of Zionism. Um, formerly, they were the Koch Party. I have to look into it. K, look into this. Um, K a c h party. You say anything or two about it? Uh, yeah, they're extremely far right. Um, they were actually in Israel for a time, designated as a terrorist organization. And uh, therefore, they were barred from running in Israeli elections. Their um, modern-day equivalent, um, kind of like because their party was officially disbanded as a terrorist organization. Wait,
1: is it the one with the yellow background with the white uh,
0: star of David on it, with a hand with a hand in the middle of it? I don't remember exactly what their what their insignia looks like, but their um, their modern-day rendition, their predecessor, not their predecessors, their successors. Uh, are Idamar Ben-Gavir's Atzma Yudit party, Mm. which are the far right uh, of Israel. Mm. Um, And fun fact, Idamar Ben-Gavir was for a time designated as a terrorist. Oh, wow. He was brought up on charges of supporting terrorism in Israel. Um, The IDF considered him too genocidal to join. Like some Jews uh, in Israel, some Israelis, they will get out of their military service uh, citing religious beliefs. Um, But Idamar Ben-Gavir went the other way. And he literally he was too think about that he was too genocidal for an army that is doing a genocide right now. Wow, and now this man is Minister of Defense, Minister of National Defense in Israel.
1: to think such a poor excuse or biological organism right is in the position that he is in,
0: but that's the thing that's why it's a complete indictment of Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli government as a whole. Because he's only held on the power for, this, for so long by forming this coalition with the most insane, the most rabid, racist parts of the Israeli uh, government, like uh, Ben Gavir. Another thing that, another highlight of uh, 1947, mm-hmm. the Arab
1: High Council of Palestine rejects uh, the partition and calls for a three-day
0: national strike. Hmm.
1: Uh, they would later call the strike off after uh, foreign intervention.
0: And I, so I dislike when, when uh, people kind of bring that up and they're like, oh, the Arabs rejected this partition plan. Right? Yeah. Or they rejected this plan because I guess, like, why are you
1: putting the onus on them? Why should we have accepted it? Why should we have accepted displacement, land theft?
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's the point. And before,
1: before the partition plan was even proposed, Zionists were acting horribly aggressive to Arabs we were in no where they were in no moral position to tell us what deals we should accept.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah.
1: There was a serial in a uh, late 1947 and 1948, there was a series of a uh, Zionist, uh, militia operations being held. These would entail the seizing of infrastructure, the seizing of the coastline, mm-hmm. the, uh, Destruction of villages and building over them. Some of these would, uh, some of these uh, plans consist of plan Gimel, which was mm-hmm. to stabilize Palestinian society. Uh, Javusi, which is a weird name. It's a weird <laughs>
0: name. Yeah, I uh, guess we're we're seeing that today with the with the settlements, right? Yeah, and even the uh, newly proposed settlements in Gaza.
1: Uh, the Dalit plan was to erase uh, Palestine and expand uh, this was finalized by the Haganah which is another military arms group
0: yeah they were the militia that that carried out um, the Nakba oh yeah right prior to and then they became the IDF
1: yeah the, yeah the Haganah was uh, responsible for a lot of this like uh, May 11th they started they started massively bombing Palestinian neighborhoods mm-hmm. uh, this is 1948 um yeah, the U.S. secretly engaged in talks with the Chain Wiseman to start the Nakba on the date it was said. That's what I mentioned to you earlier. Mm-hmm. They met. Oh, they met with him on 18, uh, March 18th, 30th, yeah. and to discuss the date. It was. I think he was only maybe a day or two late. But overall, it was planned by the United States. Hmm. The I uh, was like so. The Like you said, the, uh, the, the uh, Israelis and Zionists like to uh, discuss about who rejects what peace deals and how the Palestinians constantly reject peace deals. Mm-hmm. Here's one example. Uh, the International Council asked for a ending of uh, a truce between the uh, clashing of Palestinian militias and Zionist militias before the Nakba. Mm-hmm. ben Giron said the truce is not up to the government but the Zionist militias. So the government mm. wasn't even engaged at all in having a truce. There's a, It's up to the military now. Not up to us. This is out of our hands. He didn't even try for peace.
0: I've often said that Israel is a giant military pretending to be a state. Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: Throughout 1948, you would have uh, Arab volunteers from other countries, such as uh, Egypt, uh, Jordan join the Palestinian struggle against Zionist violence, and this being before the Nakba. Before the Nakba, Palestine was in a uh, an active state of war conflict with Zionist militias, and the Zionist militias were receiving mil- uh, military uh, funding from Czechoslovakia.
0: And if I'm not wrong, I'm one of the biggest supporters of Israel. Um prior to the takeover, or prior to the election of the ANC, um, was apartheid South Africa.
1: Oh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, They were active supporters of one another.
0: Yep. Um, I remember I read something that there was a, there was a Israel secretly uh, continued to sell arms to South Africa under the radar uh, after the UN imposed arms embargo against the apartheid regime. And it's very funny that uh, their relationship has soured since South Africa ceased being an apartheid state.
1: Yeah. Right. This says a lot about them. Exactly. And a uh, quick, quick date to notice. Mm. Um, 1948, April 1st to 14th, the Czech government was shipping guns and artillery to the Zionists.
0: All right. So, Spencer, my friend, we have reached our, uh, our end of our, our podcast here. Thank you so much for coming on, man.
1: Thank you very much for hap- uh, having me. I look forward to uh, speaking on this podcast again.
0: It was, uh, it was great to hear all of your insight, uh, to kind of go over the history, uh, to hear your opinions and everything. So thank you so much for that. Is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I had a speech publicly uh, about a week ago. It was about the, our commercial banking system in Canada, uh, in Nova Scotia. I'd like to leave off on this note. For people to withdraw from these banks, and these banks being TD, BMO, HSBC, RBC, um, and Bank, withdraw from those banks and go to a credit union. The These banks I listed off are all actively funding Israeli weapons, middle, military industries, and AI programs to be used against Palestinians. The only banks that are not in touch with, with the Israeli apartheid, are credit unions. So I implore each of you listening to withdraw from these banking systems that support genocide.
0: Excellent. Thank you.
1: Thank you.